Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. Uh, this is the right one. You know, we don't have Harrison opening for us this week. He's still here. Uh, don't you worry. Uh, but as your faithful co-host Ben Ross here, uh, sort of leading the conversation as we're really excited. Uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, only the second time, I think, in Pants Party history we've had a guest. Uh, so I'd like to introduce um, the new Iowa beat reporter for the Des Moines Register, Kennington Smith. Um, Kenny, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are y'all? And um, second guest ever. That is um, quite an honor. So I appreciate y'all having me on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The last, the first guest, last guest was uh, Leah Van, the, the okay. last, um, the the other new hire on the Hawkeye beat, this one for the uh, Cedar Rapids Gazette. Um, and I, I guess it is funny now, our only guests have been journalists, whereas we're sort of a, a blog that sometimes like to poke his thumb in the eye of journalism. Um, I will let you, Kenny, I will let you know I am a recovering journalist myself. I once covered the Hawkeye beat for the venerable Daily Iowan. Um, I interned for the, the Cedar Rapids Gazette one, uh, for one summer. I wrote briefly for a range of newspapers across the Midwest, and then um, they they chewed me up and spit me out. So now I'm in a different type of, type of business. Um, really, we're just really excited to have you. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, shout out to Leah. She's uh, definitely a good friend of mine and somebody who welcomes me in when I first got here. Um, she was excited to not be the baby on the beat. I quickly took that title from her. Um, but she's really cool. And she welcomed me. So shout out to her. And we'll definitely have to compare experiences um, at the end of this. Yeah, she got pretty uh, loose with some of her feelings towards other her big te- big twelve schools. She was, uh, you know, as you know, a Texas grad, so right. she had some nice, not so nice things to say um, about uh, about some uh, other schools in the state of Texas. Uh, but I'm not sure uh, really uh, what, what we'll get. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious, Kenny. I guess I'd like to start really. At, we don't know uh, too much about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, where were you before landing at uh, the register? Uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, all that kind of cool stuff. All right. So from the metro Atlanta area, born and raised in Georgia, went to the University of Georgia, graduated in 2017 with a degree in mass media. After that, I did some work with the Atlanta Braves for a few years. Did some work with the Atlanta Falcons, covering them for two seasons. Um, spent the last two years in upstate South Carolina covering the high school beat. Through that, I was able to do some reporting with Clemson, the University of South Carolina, did a few appearances on SEC Network on the Paul Feinbaum show. And that's how the register kind of discovered me. And they recruited me to come out here and cover the Hawkeyes. So you said that Leah didn't have too many nice things to say about the Big 12. I feel like when I came out here and people found out that I went to Georgia and I'm from the South, everybody was like, let's just attack the SEC guy and tell him how much we hate the SEC and, you know, their um, elitist mentality and, you know, let let Kenny know that Georgia's not as good as they think they are and the SEC is not as great as they as y'all think y'all are and X, Y, Z. So, um, 
it was um, definitely a, a shot coming here and being like, oh, everybody doesn't love the SEC, you know, growing up in this, growing up in the South is like, oh yeah, like SEC, like, you know, we're the, we're like the one and not the two, but coming up here, everybody's like, nah, we don't, we're not, we're not big fans. So that was, um, that was funny, but that's a little bit about, you know, my background and kind of where I came from before I got here. That's yeah, about right. I'll let you go, Harrison. Well, yeah, I, I spent a couple years in Charlotte right after graduating college, and okay. it, it's hilarious just the total difference between I grew up in Iowa, and it feels like there's that bubble. And I was unique, right, because of that as Iowa State and Iowa. But when you go to the South, it's everyone for the most part, and you know everyone from a ton of different schools, and there mm-hmm. is that real kind of collectivism from an SEC perspective that sometimes exists with the the Big Ten, but overall not that much, especially as you're about to find out with Iowa, Minnesota, um, Iowa, Nebraska. Those are some two fan bases that I'm not sure really, really like each other. And maybe there are some like that in the SEC, but it feels like at the end of the day, there's some collectivism there that doesn't necessarily exist uh, in the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, you know, it's the same in the Big Ten as in the SEC, you know, school like George, it seems like every game we play is a rivalry game, but it's not like, you know, the super bitter hatred that I've seen from like Iowa and Iowa State, for example, like, you know, we don't like Florida, of course, we don't like Auburn, of course, Um, the Iron Bowl, Auburn, Alabama, that's like true, you know, probably like the closest thing to like true like hate that I've seen like between rivals but it kind of seems like everybody in the south somewhat sticks together um you know for better or for for worse i mean the the georgia florida game i'm not sure if it's still called it but it was the the world's largest cocktail hour right i mean yes. how, how can how can you be angry at a cocktail hour <laughs> right yeah the, the world's largest um outdoor cocktail party and okay okay you said and you did say it right cocktail it is hours, the, eight hours long yeah right and it is <laughs> the georgia florida game you did say okay. that correctly make sure that we make sure we got we get that up straight it's the georgia florida game okay well Her- okay i had no idea you went to georgia i mean harrison knows some people know georgia is sort of my second favorite team i i got yeah. family who went there family lives in athens from athens um i'm a big after iowa big big fan of the dogs so i'm really uh ecstatic to hear we've got an, uh, another uh sort of bulldog guy on the beat uh i'm curious Right away, then I guess what are some of, some of the the biggest differences you see in, in going from covering? You know, you said you, you dabble a little bit in Clemson and uh, some schools down there, and then jumping up up north to, to big time Big Ten country in Iowa. What what have been some of the biggest differences? I guess not not, not only as sitting in the chair of a reporter, but also just seeing culture around the the, the, the locker rooms and maybe the practice, like how you've seen um, players interact and even things maybe if you've seen uh, any bits of practice, I doubt. Um, uh, or I guess you probably were open the spring game. What what have you, I guess, seen? What are the biggest contrasts between, between the two? Yeah, well, one thing I'll say coming up here is, like, it's pretty crazy to see the the connection between, like, Iowa City and, like, the university. Like, you go to your local Walmart, and it's, like, nothing but just Hawkeye flags, you know, hanging up. And, like, you see, you know, Hawkeye, you know, the official this of the Hawkeyes, the official that of the Hawkeyes. Like, everywhere you go, it seems like the town is very much intertwined with the university. And, um, obviously, like, a school like Athens, 
uh, or school like UGA, I should say, in Athens. Of course, like Athens and UGA are connected, but it's not quite the same level. Like you don't go into the Walmart and you don't see strictly Georgia apparel. Like they're going to sell some Tennessee things. They're going to sell some Auburn things. Like they're going to sell some, you know, some Georgia Tech things. Like at Clemson, I think that would be the best example. Like they have in the city, like orange paw prints painted on the the roads. So like you can see, like it's like that's like the 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 school in the in the city are like intertwined in that way. Uh, one thing I'll say is like the fan base is crazy. Like I came out here and I announced that I was like covering the Hawkeyes, and I instantly got like two thousand Twitter followers, and that was insane. Like I didn't even think I had no idea. I didn't know what I was expecting, but I didn't think it was going to be anything like that. And the fans are really just like really passionate, really tapped in, which I think is probably the biggest contrast that I've seen. Like especially like at a school like Georgia or in the SEC, or even a school like Clemson, when you're competing, um, you know, year in and year out for the college football playoff, if you lose one game, you know, that's your season's kind of on edge. Once you lose two games, a lot of the fan base is kind of tapped out on the rest of the season because you're not really in play for, you know, the college football playoff. Like up here, it's like I feel like the the fan base is really like ride or die for the Hawkeyes for better or for worse. So that's, um, you know, something that, I, that I've um, noticed. I haven't really – seen um too many like practices or anything like that i know this upcoming weekend it's going to be you know kids day we'll get a chance to see them play um there i did actually come up here for the spring game and it was really cool to just kind of like see the atmosphere um of course see the children's hospital i've seen that on tv um all the time so to see that up close was cool um but as far as like you know on field like actual playing i haven't really had a chance to see enough to to you know tell any differences the most that i've seen difference wise has just been kind of like fans um, you know, how they interact with the team, how they follow the team and just kind of like, you know, the feel around the city and like how you can really feel like this is like, you know, the Hawkeyes are like it. And I guess that's like growing up in a, in Iowa or being in a state where Iowa, there's no professional team. It's like the Hawkeyes are literally like this is the team where the Cyclones, like if you live in Des Moines or wherever you are, like this is the the team. So that's uh, what I'll say on that. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. it. It's one show in town, and growing up there, like I said, uh, my brother and I actually both went to different schools that were not Iowa, and we still remain diehard Iowa fans. And it, it's mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Somehow, there's just something about growing up and Saturdays with family and friends, and um, you know, watching the games, having those memories tied to your youth and integral parts of that it feels like there's there's not much that can really break it from there um you mentioned coming from charlotte or excuse me from from anderson south carolina i think that's that's Mm -hmm. where you were last um i do have a couple southern based questions uh transitioning to the north my first one is did you like cookout at all it was cookout your from a, a fast food standpoint Hmm. Cookout is not my go-to, but cookout will do the job for you when you need it to. I think that's the best way to to describe it. It's like my I remember my first time. That was when I was at UGA. That was my first time ever seeing a cookout before, and that was like a new thing in in Georgia because I think it's you know like a Carolina based maybe um, chain. But it's like I'd never have been to a place before where you can get a cheeseburger, a quesadilla, fries, a big drink, a milkshake, all this for like $6. And it's like, they have all this stuff on the menu and it's just like a little overwhelming at first, but um, it's not like, you know, 
if I'm, you know, running out, like I'm really, really hungry, like, oh, this is about to be my dinner. I'm not going to cook out at like seven at night, you know, at eight at night. But if it's like, you know, past midnight and, you know, I'm probably trying to fight a hangover or it's like I just need something on my stomach, then cookout is probably going to be your best bang for your buck. So um, I'll give cookout a check, but it's not uh, my number one. Yeah, I'm one of those psychopaths that orders a corn dog while at cookout. It's just like it's the most random menu of all time. Yeah, my my go to, I'll probably say um, fourth burger, ketchup, lettuce, tomato, pickle, cheese, um, Cajun chicken wrap, fries, huge tea. There it is. There it is. And I, in your write up about joining the register, you mentioned getting a winter jacket. Have you gotten one yet? I am. I'm in the process of buying jackets right now. Um, it was crazy. Like I told my mom before I came up here, like, mom, I'm going to need a winter coat. And she said, you know, you have pea coats in your closet. And I'm like, no, mom, not like a $50 <laughs> jacket from Zara. Like I need an actual jacket that's like going to go down to my knees. Like, you know, we're from the South. Like an inch of snow is like a statewide emergency where I'm from. So we're not really used to like having like true winter coats or like super heavy winter attire. So I'm in the process of it right now. Um, been heavy on, you know, on the North Face site, um, Card, um, Columbia, um, Eddie Bauer, um, you know, getting boots and wool socks and lawn johns from what the Hawkeyes fans have been telling me. Because every time I'm on a platform like this, I tell the fans, please send me suggestions because I truly have no idea what I'm doing. So a lot of fans are reached out and say, get wool socks. They've sent me boot suggestions, which I, which I appreciate. Um, so I'm in the process of it now. I actually bought three jackets over the weekend um, that can kind of serve a few different purposes. <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm trying to get ahead of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. the best advice is your feet. Do not let your feet get cold because if they're cold, then everything else will get yeah. cold. Duly noted. As a, as a Minnesotan, I can tell you North, North Face is uh, probably the way to go. Um, and red, red Wing boots are pretty nice, too. If you're in the jacket buying process, I had a friend do this who had just moved to Chicago from Austin last winter. And he ordered eight coats to his house and then tried them on and then kept the one he wanted to return the other seven. I could never do that. But <laughs> I think that is way more work um, than pro- also, I guess, COVID probably had had a hand in that as well. I have never heard of Cookout before, and I am on their website now. This looks like, this reads like a Cheesecake Factory menu. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's all over the place. Like, you can, anything you want, you can get it at Cookout, and you will get it for $5.34. I wish there were prices on this menu, but like... It's $5.34. That's the price. (laughs) (laughs) Put... Put as many combinations as you want together, $5.34, I'm telling you. They have a chili dog under sides. Like, yeah. this is my, my kind chaos, of place. Man. <laughs> that is my kind of place. <laughs> now, I'm curious, are you are you in the Des Moines area, Iowa City area? Iowa Where? City. Okay, cool. Iowa City. Um, specifically, Tiffin. Okay. Where it's like, Everybody, every time I say I live in Tiffin, everybody's like, oh, yeah, Tiffin is a is a quickly growing area. I'm still trying to differentiate like the Iowa City to Coralville to Tiffin to North Liberty. Um, you know, it seems like everything is like pretty close together and like 
to my in my estimation, like everything kind of like is running together. So I'm still trying to like venture out and explore and kind of like see the differences in the you know individual communities. Yeah, I know Corville has a little bit because it's just right up against Iowa City, right? In terms mm-hmm. of restaurants and things like that. I, I can't speak to Tiffin necessarily, Tiffin or North Liberty, um, just because <laughs> Iowa City. What, that's that would be the place to to hang out if you're going to make that trek down from Cedar Rapids. So um, that's I can't really help you in terms of those those little suburbs. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't help at all. I'm curious now, getting into to more so. What, what did you as you're coming up here? As you're getting ready to to move. What were your stereotypes? What did you know about Iowa, the state, and also the sports programs? I know you'll be covering basketball as well. Um, I'm just curious, like what 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 knowledge were you armed with coming up here, and what have you, has anything been totally and completely wrong? Has anything come true? I realize half truths are probably the most likely answer, but uh, I'm curious, what has anything totally shocked or surprised you? Um. All right. So first, what did I come equipped with in terms of Iowa sports knowledge? Um, I came up here barehanded. Like I, <laughs> I knew nothing. Um, growing up in the growing up in the South, like of course, like we're all SEC, but like we're really not a casual, a casual national college football watcher. Of course, like diehard SEC. We're not really watching the Big Ten unless it's like Ohio State. So I never watched Iowa unless they played like Ohio State or they played. Um, you know, Michigan, or maybe they were playing an SEC team in a bowl game um, here or there. Um, basketball, I also didn't know anything. Obviously, last year they had, um, you know, Luca Garza. So, of course, they were kind of like more on like the national um, spotlight. So, I was able to see them um, a few more times than maybe, you know, I would have in another year. But I really didn't know anything before I came up here. That's when I said during my interview process, the first thing I'm going to do is go back and watch every single football game from last year just so I can have some type of idea uh, of what I'm walking into. Stereotypes. I didn't know anything about Iowa um, except that it was going to be cold up here. So every time in the interview process, you know, it's common when you're interviewing with a company, they say, you know, do you have any questions? And like the first question I asked every single time was, how was the weather? How was the winter? Like, how do I navigate, you know, the cold weather and all of that? That was really all that was I was thinking towards. But uh, I don't know, like socially, Honestly, I really thought that I was just going to like come up here and just kind of like go to work and then go home and then just kind of like just be in my house and not really like have too much to do. But it really hasn't been like that. I've been able to like go out and like I know breweries are I didn't know beer culture was so huge out here. That is one thing that I'll say. I did not know like the beer and alcohol culture was was what it was what it was. So I've been able to like go out to some breweries and like do some social drinking and like hang out, which has been cool. So I've been out and about. I haven't really spent like too many weekends just like cooped up in my house, not doing anything bored. Um, so that is, you know, one positive that I'll say um, that that surprised me. But as far as like just my overall sports knowledge, like I really didn't know anything. So I came up here just like completely blind, which I guess is a good thing. I came up here. I don't have any biases. I don't have any, you know, preconceived notions. I just came up with a with an open mind. So. And I'm looking forward to just kind of like really immersing myself in the sports culture so I can be kind of a, a knowledgeable person, like a savant, you know, by this time next year, hopefully. You mentioned watching each of the eight, eight games from last year without, I guess, 
getting too much in it because I'm curious what was your main takeaway because you came in at parachuting and we more roller coaster wrote it. Um, curious kind of your perspective on on the season and and what you maybe not expect because that might take away some, some angles for you in the future. But um, maybe the state of Iowa football as you kind of see it. Yeah, well, what I saw last year, obviously the first two games were a little rough, but the last six games, like they looked like a team that figured out how you need to win given the limitations that you have on offense. Like Iowa systematically is not a team that is going to be able to just kind of like run up the run up the score on on a defense. Like they really don't have the offense that's just going to like start on the 20 and just walk you down the field and score a touchdown on most possessions. Like you would see like a high powered offense, like Alabama or Clemson 2019 LSU um, would do. But, you know, the first two games was kind of a struggle. The defense was doing what they had to do. They were making stops, but they really weren't create. They weren't putting the offense in a position to score. A lot of those games, those first two games were played kind of in between the twenties and that's not how they were going to win last year. Like they needed the defense to force turnovers. They needed the defense to get pick sixes. They needed them to, you know, get turnovers and put them in favorite position. They needed somebody like a Charlie Jones to have really good punt returns to flip the field position. And that's what I saw a lot of in the last six games was a collective team effort to, you know, to kind of help the offense get in position to to score easy points. So when they figured out that formula and the defense started turning the ball over, the turnover differential in those last six games compared to the first two was night and day. Special teams did did what they had to do in helping the offense out. So when they looked when they started doing that, you know, they they started getting those wins. So coming into this year, um, I just expect them to kind of parlay that momentum and and do, you know, a lot better. I expect the offense to be much better. I know Spencer Petras isn't too popular amongst um, the Iowa fan base, but I honestly don't think that he got a super fair shake coming into last year either. Like he had no spring practice. He missed half the offseason being quarantined, and they walked right into a Big Ten schedule, which was unprecedented. So there were some growing pains to start. He, um, he picked it up those last six games. He wasn't, you know, airing it out. But he did what he had to do and played, you know, within the system to help Iowa reel off six in a row. So those were kind of my takeaways, um, you know, from last year. So I expect, you know, more a more cohesive unit, um, a team that's going to have, you know, a full offseason, a full preparation period, a team like that really needs it. So going into this year, I expect it to, to be, you know, a little bit more smooth sailing than kind of like the roller coaster that it was last year. Yeah, but what would you think of the Wildcat? <laughs> I like the Wildcat. I'm all for I'm all for offensive innovation. And then you, <laughs> you innovation. Yeah. It's 20 years old. And it took right. Uh, well, that's well innovate innovation within what they're normally doing. And you're a secondary Georgia fan, so you can attest to this. Mm-hmm. Georgia up until last year had you know by I guess the by the way the rest of the SEC was trending and Southern football was trending, kind of an outdated mm-hmm. offense. Like we were, mm-hmm. you know, four wide receivers. We weren't airing it out. There weren't wide open wide receivers, you know, scoring touchdowns easily like at Alabama or LSU or Clemson. We were winning games like Iowa. We were winning games 13 to 10, 20 to 17, you know, 24 to 20. Like we were we weren't blowing anybody out, you know, offensively either. Um, so I can I can relate. So I'm all for you know, anything, putting your best players in space, anything that's going, 
you know, kind of a, against the grain. I'm all for that. So I would like to see more of that this year. If it's not the Wildcat, maybe some four wide receiver sets, maybe a little bit more offensive creativity, something that can, you know, score easy points. I'm all all in favor. Kenny, I will never forget from years, let's say, I think 2017 to 19 or so, waking up at 11 a.m. watching Iowa play at 11 and watching Nate Stanley overthrow wide receiver after wide receiver <laughs> after wide receiver only to win by six or seven in nail-biting fashion. Then to tune into the 2.30 or 3 o'clock game and watch Jake Fromm overthrow wide receiver after wide receiver after wide receiver only to be bailed out by his great running backs. It was a very much basically watching the right. same team in different colors throughout those years. Watching Rodrigo carry us to – Rodrigo was – you can he's make. He was, our, he was our best. Thank you. He was our best player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, if we didn't have him, like I really don't know where we would have been. But he, it was really like the game plan was almost like defense. If we cannot allow touchdowns, because we will lose. Like if you give up more than twenty, if you give up more than twenty-four points, we're not going to win this game. Like it's going to be all Rodrigo kicking six field goals a game, and you know defense. Um, holding teams to to field goals too, and we're just gonna have to kind of like grind it out. So we are on the same page. That's so for funny. sure. Rodrigo Blankenship. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Rodrigo it was my favorite, and then you know, just always a chub chub out there in Sony, where some pretty great thunder and lightning. Harrison, I'm depressed. Yeah. It only took Kenny eight games really to get the full experience that we would get after watching 80 games you know um i I guess i feel like that that's a microcosm (laughs) sort of that there's always been the 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 stereotype that i or not even i wouldn't call it stereotype the the assumption i was just so predictable and same thing year after after year which i guess you get when you have a coach that's been in coaching for your program for 20 years or so but god he's just reading reading the whole thing like a book the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I, I think that sometimes feels like the motto of Iowa football. Um, but to your point, Ben and Kennington, it was great seeing the Wildcat. I love seeing the jet sweep stuff too. So it's like, hey, they're playing football in like 2017 now instead of <laughs> 2004, um, which is a, a welcome relief. Um, that's for sure. Uh, I guess... You, you mentioned being on the SEC network. What what brought you to that? And, and as Paul Feinbaum said, granting you the, the greatest name in, in sports writing or, or something to that effect. Yeah. So last summer at the height of the um, height of the pandemic, height of Black Lives Matter movement, when players were really using their voice and using their platforms, especially at Clemson, Darian Rencher, um, running back at Clemson, was really kind of at the forefront of you know, of that movement and also kind of like the We Want to Play movement, which I know was really big in the Big Ten as well. But speaking just on how I ended up on Fama on the first time. So Jay Yurick at the University of South Carolina quarterback had a sign at a team protest um, that said matters the minimum. He had some other verbiage on it as well, but he um, was photographed at a team protest. The sign went viral. Martin Luther King's daughter um, posted a picture of him from her Twitter account and shouted him out. So he kind of became like a, a sensation overnight. He was from the Anderson area. He went to one of the high schools that I covered. So um, through his personal trainer, um, Ramon Robinson, I was able to kind of get an exclusive interview with him. 
and then put that story out, just speaking with him about the team process experience, you know, what led up to it, you know, who was kind of at the forefront of it, what that, ex- what that experience was like, what were the takeaways. Um, two days later, SEC Network um, hits me up. They asked me to to be on, and me and Feinbaum talked for, like, almost, like, 15 minutes just about that. At the time, also had the pandemic, you know, when it was high school sports were just now starting to kind of, like, come back, and it was, like, very, very early stages, and school systems were debating on, you know, whether we want to play this year, whether we don't want to play this year. So I was going in there thinking that we were mainly going to talk about that, and the the um, the signage was going to be kind of, like, on the background. We spread almost that whole 15 minutes is talking about Black Lives Matter, talking about the sign, talking about just kind of like the social, racial climate. Dabo Sweeney was under some hot water at Clemson at the time for kind of, you know, his insensities and kind of tone deafness on on the issue. So we talked a lot about that. And then from there on, you know, anytime there was a moment where there were talking about a subject that, you know, could relate to something on the high school level, he just kind of tapped me on the shoulder to come on and speak about that and kind of relate it. Um, down to down to that level. So I was on for I think it was on three episodes or three, um, yeah, three episodes of, of the show. And on the last one, um, when I won an award from the South Carolina Press Association, he brought me on. He asked me about that. We talked about COVID and high school sports, um, how it related to the winner. And then he closed it out by saying Kennington Lewis Smith III, an award winner and the best name in the industry, which was crazy. So, um. <laughs> When he said that, like, I mean, I wasn't, my face wasn't on the screen, but when he said that, I was like, <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> like, I was trying to, I was trying to keep my composure. So I, um, I instantly grabbed that sound bite and like, that's gonna, you know, that's, that's going with me the, the rest of the rest of my career. Like, we're going to trademark that. We might put that on shirts. I know NIL is big right now. I don't know if journalists can tap into that, but, um, we, we might have to put that on some shirts and, uh, and, and monetize that. Um, but that was um, a crazy moment for me. Um, I appreciate him so much and the SEC Network, the whole the whole crew for having me on and giving me that platform and kind of helping me kind of springboard my career to where it is right now. That's really cool. Try and pick up that soundbite and play it uh, for this. Matt, if you're listening, we'll, we'll get, get on that. We'll find you the link. Um that's awesome. I really don't have uh, too many other questions uh, written down around this, I guess. Uh, Harrison, did you have anything? Otherwise, I'd say maybe uh, let's talk hoops a little bit. Yeah, I did have one one last question um, as it pertained to kind of your, your career before uh, coming to Iowa. Um, looking at your bio, you, you mentioned that you had covered the Paralympic Games in 2016 and you have the Rio de Janeiro uh, mm-hmm. poster painting uh, right behind you now. So I'm just... I'm curious, kind of the the a story or two that sticks out from from that experience, and clearly it holds a, a dear place in your heart as as you kind of wake up every morning and, and see uh, see a keepsake that that you got from there. Absolutely. So um, how I got to Rio through the University of Georgia Sports Media Department. Our director Vicky Michaelis um, was an Olympic reporter with USA Today for 25 years. They tapped on her in 2016 and said, we want to send students from UGA to the uh, regular Olympics and the Paralympics um, to kind of serve as um, Associated Press writers um, for for the game. So we had like a student competition um, to, to see who was going to go. Um, I was one of the winners. 
So they flew us down. We didn't have to pay for anything. Like we flew with, we flew down with some members of like the Team USA Paralympic team. They put us up in a hotel, like everything, everything was covered. So really we were just out there and our job every single day was just to kind of like go out to the venues and, you know, canvas the scene and come back with good story ideas. Like there wasn't any, you know, editors there on site from AP or USA Today, like, you know, you're going to cover this, you're going to cover that. We were kind of just like acting as like real reporters, you know, going out there and trying to find stories. One story that stuck with me and um, one of the subjects is still competing or will compete in the Paralympics um, this year is sighted guides. So there, there's a comp- there's like in track and field, there are athletes who compete in track and field who are, um, completely blind or like almost like completely blind. And they have sighted guides who like direct them with their voice um, down the track. So when a sport like the long jump, you know, an athlete will get set up who's blind and he'll run and like, they'll have somebody like on the other, like on the other side of like the jumping pit, kind of like directing, like you kind of, you're veering right, you're veering left, you know, kind of speed up, slow down. Okay. Like jump here. And that's how they do it in track and field and sprinting. There's a man, David Brown, who I believe is, I don't know if he, I think it was 11 seconds. He's the only completely blind man ever to run under 11 seconds. And they get um, a guide from um, like people who, so his running partner is Jerome Avery, who tried to make the regular Olympic team in 2004, but didn't qualify for the regular Olympics. So they asked him to move over to the Paralympics and train with um, blind athletes and he could live out his Olympic dream that way as a Paralympian. So they run, how, how it works is the blind athletes and the athletes who can see, they are tied, their hands are tied in a tether like this and they literally run side by side. So like the person who can see is like directing them and like the blind person is just running. And it's like, once, once you get like really good at it, if you're watching them from the side, it looks like it's one person because like their arms and their legs are literally moving like in, in unison. So 2016 Paralympics, they won the gold medal. Um, so now they're back 2021 to defend that title. Um, so David Brown's the fastest blind man in the world. So he's, you know, the favorite Jerome Avery um, is in his early thirties now. Um, so he, he still got it. So they're kind of like the, the dynamic duo. So that was a story that that stuck with me. And that was crazy. I didn't even know that, you know, that was um, a thing. So definitely like appreciative of that opportunity to like go down there and just experience something new. And then just to have the chance to like go down there and like be in that Olympic atmosphere and like see your name published in like bylines like Daily Mail and ESPN and Yahoo and ABC, especially like as, as a college student was just like wild. So yeah, obviously that's like a huge part of me. So I got you know, it's tapestry behind me. I have like my press pass and some other things. And we did other things. Like we went out to the beach and we went to the Christ the Redeemer and got a chance to like do some sightseeing and all that too. So that was a um, super cool experience. Awesome. Great story. I didn't realize just that it makes sense. Right. But just not knowing how, all the training that right. goes into it with the, the, the blind athlete and the scene guide. That's, that's awesome to, to learn about. That is quite the cool experience. Yeah. So, so, so I guess then uh, basketball too is going to be part of part part of your wheelhouse. A team that was sort of all over the not when I say all over the place, I mean just uh, on on every screen um, <clears throat> this past COVID year with 
National Player of the Year, Luca Garza. We just had two players drafted. I know you've been uh, – you just did a story uh, talking to some, some folks about Keegan Murray's prospects um, as a, a draftee in the 2022 draft. I guess what uh, – first of all, like, do you have a preference, basketball or football? Um, and I guess what's going to be – how are you going to approach – uh, your coverage uh, to the two sports differently or similarly, I guess. Um, so prefer football over basketball. I think that's just like a Southern thing. Again, um, SEC basketball isn't strong um, unless, you know, Florida was really good for one period of time and they've kind of fallen off. And then Kentucky got Coach Cal and they've risen to the top. Um, and, I, you know, I guess they're still there. But overall, like top to bottom, the SEC is not really like a true basketball conference. And in Georgia, we've never – We've never been to hoop school, so it's kind of hard to <laughs> to uh, to invest that way. So I prefer college football over basketball. As far as Iowa, I'm just going to approach it the same way um, that I'm doing it in football and just going to kind of like immerse myself. I really don't um, – I'm not an expert on it, so just try to learn as much as I can. Um, I think that in terms of just like what I do coverage-wise, feature writing – Writing profiles on athletes is kind of like my strength. That's kind of like where I want to carve my niche out. So just trying, hoping to build relationships with some players, um, just kind of like tell some cool stories, some background stories where you kind of get to know the the actual person, um, you know, behind the game and kind of like, you know, getting into the nuances of that. So that's kind of like my goal on, on that beat. But I'm looking forward to just kind of like seeing it, seeing Big Ten basketball up close. I know it's like a strong basketball conference and seeing how Iowa kind of navigates that and, you know, in the wake of losing not only Garza and Wieskamp, but CJ Frederick and, you know, Jack Nungy, they lost, you know, a lot of, you know, key guys from last year, like two thirds of their offensive production. So it's going to be like a, a new look team. It's going to be an exciting opportunity for guys like Keegan Murray and, and, and Joe Toussaint. Um, and, you know, Jordan Mohan is going to come back for, for another year and he's going to serve a different role on this year's <laughs> team that he has in, in years past. So it's going to be um, just kind of like exciting to see how it all comes together and, um, you know, hopefully they have a, a good season as a reporter. It's, it's obviously a lot more fun covering a team that's winning than a team that's losing. So we don't have any betting interest, and I'm not going to be in the press box rooting for Iowa. But obviously it's a lot um, lot easier, a lot more fun to do, you know, what you're doing when the team is having some success rather than at the bottom of the conference. That makes sense. We are – I remember blogging the the 2018 season, and, and towards the end, the, it was just a slog. Uh, the four and 14 team. So, uh, if I can wish anything to to the Iowa Hawkeyes, it's certainly not a repeat of that season and something more like uh, 2019, 2020. Because um, those, those are good seasons and they're fun. And I, I, I'm I'll be curious to understand your perspective as you follow the fans for both Iowa and um, Bat. Or football and basketball, if you see um, any different, maybe uh, standards that are held, because I, I've always been fr- from the mindset that there's a way too high a standard held for Iowa basketball. But I- I'm curious, once again, kind of getting your your opinion from uh, the outside, understanding the culture a little more, and and seeing what um, the sports teams looks like, how. Uh, your opinions may develop on on the fandom because they're they really are passionate, like you said. Uh, yeah, at the that's, top. that's another thing about it being a lot more fun when it's cut co- when you're covering a winning team versus a losing team because, like us as beat writers, we become kind of like the de facto punching bags of the fans who 
Like they just want to lash out at somebody. So it's like we're live tweeting the games or like we're kind of voicing our opinions. And it's just like, you know, they're coming just right at you. And I haven't experienced this yet. I've never covered a college team on a beat, but just following like Georgia, their athletics and like seeing their beat writers um, having to just kind of like <laughs> take some, you know, take some tough blows from the fans or just frustrated. You know, it could be a bad loss. It could be this. It could be something personnel wise. I don't know. Um, but I'm definitely uh, looking forward to it for sure. And I don't know, again, like, I don't know what the standard of Iowa basketball is. From my understanding, they've, they're they like a consistently, like, fringe tournament team, like, tournament team, like, you know, like a between, like, an 18-20 win team every single year. I feel like that's, like, a good place to be landscape-wise in the NCAA if you're, like, competing to go to the tournament every year or you're in the tournament almost every year. Again, speaking from somebody, a Georgia fan – we had Mark Fox, who in nine years, I think he won 20 games four times. We went to the tournament twice, went to the NIT a handful of times. And that's probably the most successful run that Georgia's had in basketball in decades. And that wasn't good enough. And they fired him and they got Tom Crean. And we haven't been out of the cellar in three years. So it could be a lot worse for these, for any Iowa fans who think Fran McCaffrey's not getting the job done, like you could be in last place every single year. We had the number one pick in the draft and we were in last place. So it could, I'll just, you know, say that it could be a lot worse. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it though, for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely fall a little more on the basketball side versus, versus the, the football side. I know Ben's used uh, the analogy in the past that football can be a little bit like, uh, eating your vegetables while basketball's your dessert. Um, just because like the, the teams approach it so much differently from a, a media access mm-hmm. standpoint. You see uh, Brian Ferentz, obviously, he did the, the three-hour interview, and, and that was like mana from heaven in terms of you just never get that that level of access with with anyone associated with, with Iowa football. And he even noted on there, um, you know, I don't know why anyone would have open practices and the people that they send to – uh, Tuesday interviews are normally the ones that you know aren't going to tilt the cards at all yeah. uh, versus basketball. I mean, everyone kind of understands it. You see a lot more openness in terms of things and plays are stolen all the time. I think that's the other thing about basketball is like there are no new plays. Um, whereas football, it feels like everything's held like state secrets or something. Right. Right. Yeah. That's another thing. Like our availabilities we've had, I mean, we've had good we've had good talkers in our football availabilities um, so far, um, for sure. From what I understand, some players are like brutal to, to talk to. We haven't had any. I haven't seen any of those yet. Everybody's been a pretty good interview. Basketball. It seems like we don't talk to the whole team. We've only had two availabilities, but they sent almost the entire team the first time. They sent almost everybody else the second time. Even um, a true freshman, Raleigh Mulvey, who I never I never would have thought that that would have you know been a thing again. Especially like coming from a school coming from the South and coming from a school like Georgia, where it's like iron, um, you know, she, I don't know the exact term, but there's an iron curtain. Exactly. Iron curtain, like of access, um, especially on, on true freshmen. I was very surprised to see they threw a true freshman out there um, for availability in basketball. So they're definitely um, a lot more access, but I will have to give some, some big ups to the Iowa communications. They've given us some good football players so far. Um, For for availability, who have said some cool things in media day. Um, 
Linderbaum and Tracy and Van Valkenburg, those were, you know, good interviews. They weren't, you know, just up there being, you know, kind of stonewall. So I have to give them some, a little appreciation on that. But once the season starts, it's probably going to be a whole different, probably going to be a whole different atmosphere. So let me, you know, be thankful, be thankful for now. And I'm looking forward to media day coming up soon, team media day. So that'll be fun. But getting into the season, hopefully they kind of keep the same energy of giving us guys who are going to give us, you know, a good quote. It's, uh, it's easy to forget just two years ago, Iowa football players weren't allowed to have Twitters and Instagrams and Facebooks. Um, and now, you know, when I covered the team, it was like pulling teeth. Like you said, no, no, there's a lid on true freshmen for the Iowa football program. But then I would, then I wouldn't cover the Iowa basketball team. And it was like, you want to talk to anybody you want about whatever you want, you know, Frank just kind of would throw them to the wolves. It, it was a totally different um, perspective when approaching um, media access to sort of to the point where I feel like you can, it's easy, it's really easy to get close to players and uh, it makes your job all that easier. So it's uh, nice to see I was, you know, openly cracking the door open a little bit longer in the form of three and a half hour long podcasts that I can't be bothered to listen to uh, from our <laughs> offensive coordinator, but um, I, I'm not really sure where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's crazy though. Like when I first came up here, that was something that surprised me is that players weren't allowed to have like social media accounts. Mm-hmm. Like I understand, like even at Georgia Clemson, there are policies where like true freshmen can't tweet during the season, which I guess is understandable, but like nobody on the team could have had th- that's crazy. Like I couldn't imagine how that wouldn't have been a deal breaker for some recruits, you know, over the last few years. Of course, now with NIL, there's no way that that policy would would slide. But before, but before then, um, that's wild. Like I didn't, I couldn't even imagine, you know, something something like that. But I mean, that's Power Five um, football for you. That's a great point. The, uh... As I said, it's a great point. I never even thought about if Iowa had still had its lid on social media and then NIL comes out, they'd be totally forced to yeah, let players go all willy-nilly. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's just, I think, a national thing now. I think that just across the board, any coach that had any type of, like, old school, like, you know, put a muzzle on the players, limiting the social media use, using that's completely out the, the window. And um, like I said, that's going to that's going to be a deal breaker for recruits down – down the road limiting their social media use because ultimately that's going to hurt their bottom line if they are somebody who's going to be profitable under NIL. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say, I, I'll miss the see you in four years tweets. Those were some of my favorite tweets from the incoming recruits. It was, you would get them all the time uh, because they would come to Iowa City or be on their way to Iowa City and say, uh, see you later, Twitter. It, just the best. But so so wild <laughs> that right. that was ever a thing, uh, even as recently as a year ago. Um, but uh, Ben, I, I don't know. Do you have any any more questions for Kennington? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I guess we want to talk about what we normally talk about on the pod, which I guess what's happened this week. Um, I haven't Harrison. You've been watching any any of the G League stuff? Iowa was ranked oh, boy. in the coaches' poll today. Um, oh yeah, let's let's talk let's talk coaches' poll. I guess, um, Fine. especially if if Kennington's happy to stick around for probably just fifteen more for minutes. Sure. For sure. Um, 
I guess the for me the thing that sticks out um, is it seems about right, um, which is a lame take I know, but um, just given the trajectory that Iowa was on, um, and while they lose a Davion Nixon and are faced with two top, what is it, seventeen opponents in the first two weeks, it, it seems like it sets up for a lot of moving and shaking if if things go well. I think that's probably the most exciting thing. While maybe not putting them in a, in a bad position if things do not go quite as well. Yeah, they are they are in prime position to set themselves up for a potential New Year Six bowl bid at the end of the year if they take care of business. If they were to go 2-0 and to start, and that would be – a very daunting task with the two teams that they have. But if they were to start 2-0, they, if, the, if they were to start 2-0 and the rest of their schedule after that is like Kent State, Colorado State, Maryland, before that Penn State game, those are very beatable teams on the way to that Penn State game. Going into Penn State, if that is, I think, six weeks into the season and that first playoff poll comes out, I don't see how Iowa isn't a top-10 team right in the forefront of the college football playoff discussion because they would have two very marquee wins off the bat with Indiana and Iowa State. You know, Georgia-Clemson, they're going to play each other. That's going to be a marquee win. Ohio State has Oregon Week 2. You know, whoever wins that game, that's going to be a a win that they can hang their hat on. But for Iowa to have, you know, two wins of that caliber um, would favor very well with the playoff committee so I would think even if they were to split those games, let's say, you know, lose to Indiana, beat Iowa State. If Iowa State continues to be an undefeated, you know, a one-loss team, if they run the table up to that point, that would be a big win for them. If they were to beat Indiana and lose to Iowa State and Indiana doesn't lose another game, I've looked at their schedule where they continue to, to be a strong top 25 team, that would, be a, that would be a marquee win for them. If they can just kind of stay in that, you know, 12 to 15 range up until the end of the year, you know, play their way into the Big Ten championship game, you know, even if they were to lose to an Ohio State or Penn State, whoever comes out of of that side of the division, they'll be right there for, you know, a Rose Bowl, a Fiesta Bowl, or whatever the at-large um, bowl games are are this year. So it's just so favorably for them to to stay in the conversation nationally for a big bowl game should they handle their, their business. If it starts 0-2, which I don't think it will, but if it starts 0-2, um, you know, it's going to be kind of like a, a sky is falling kind of kind of feel around the city. Um, but I think it sets up favorably for for them to just kind of be just in the conversation, which I think, you know, for for program, I that's a win to to just be, you know, talked about amongst the the, the top teams, because last year when they started 0 two and they reeled off six games in a row, kind of by that point in, in time, it was like they really weren't you know, being mentioned in the conversation of like teams that you don't want to play at the end of the year. I know it's a common thing. Like who don't you want to play at this point in the year? Like, you know, Iowa really wasn't a team that was being mentioned just because, you know, they had that O two start. They were kind of buried in the, in the rankings and um, they had a few games canceled towards the end. So I think 18 was fair. I think it's, it's um, favorable for, for them. So I think the fans should be pleased with where they're at. We talked, I think, at length about Iowa's schedule. All we did last week was talk about Iowa's schedule, and sort of my my takeaway was, you know, if Iowa beats Indiana, then you know we probably have a pretty good ball team, ball club, and I'd be a lot more surprised if we lose to Iowa State than 
um, than Indiana, which, you know, even, even if Iowa State's a stronger team, um, it just seems more likely Iowa has a history of floundering uh, first game of the year, especially, you know, 2016 comes to mind against North Dakota State. And then again, you know, Matt Campbell's never beaten Kirk Ferentz. And um, <clears throat> I understand it's tempting to think that this is going to be the year that the um, that the dam breaks on, on that one. But uh, I think so. I think a commenter on our site today said, you know, I'm not, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, so I think that, so, and he, he, he was right. So I think, I'm pretty sure that's heavy metal lawyer. Shout out to him. I know he listens. Um, other, other than that, I, I mean, it's a coach's poll, you know, coaches, they, they don't watch all the games and not to say all the media members do either. Polls are imperfect. Um, it's really just uh, do your job when your games and then we'll talk, I guess. And you mentioned what six games in the year, six weeks in the years when they do the college football playoff poll, right. which is so dumb. They should wait until the very last week of the season to do it. Cause that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> they're just, it's just to sell advertisements on TV, but, but I get it. And now um, Iowa has two former, has a, an athletic director and a former athletic director on the college football playoff poll, right? Uh, board. Mm-hmm. It's Gary Barda and Gene Taylor who was Barta's right-hand man at Iowa is now the head, head, head AD at Kansas state. Um, interesting. I would love to be a fly on the wall for those, for those zoom calls going on uh, this year between the two of them. Right. And I'm um, definitely looking forward to seeing what, if this is, if they're, you know, going to give a group of five school a, an opportunity. I know Cincinnati's going to be, Cincinnati's been in the top 10. Um, Louisiana Lafayette, Coastal Carolina, Liberty, I think they're all in the in the top 25. Maybe not Liberty, but I know Coastal and Lafayette are. They're probably too far out to make it that far. But if Cincinnati runs the table and beats Notre Dame, you might have to give them a you might have to give them a shot. Like oh, since he not? plays Notre Dame this year. Right. Yeah, they play Notre Dame. So there, if they were to run the table and they and they beat Notre Dame, there is literally no argument that you can make, like, oh, they didn't play anybody, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. They get a Notre Dame win. Run the table, you know. This might be the year that you finally give them a shot. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. They're starting at ten. Last year they didn't start that close, and they kind of like plateaued at that level. So they're starting at ten. They're gonna be teams are gonna fall in front of them um, for sure. So you know, we'll see if they can kind of like creep up close enough to maybe be you know on that fourth spot. We'll see. That's that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. I also noticed that – well, I was just looking at it from the IU perspective. IU-Cincy, I think that's the third week of the year. And, and this is something Ben and I talked about. The non-conference slate for Big Ten schools is just off the charts this year, especially how you see the conference games hitting in the first couple weeks too. Just some complete juggernauts facing off, like Wisconsin-Penn State that first weekend, um, Wisconsin-Notre Dame. Um I'm. I haven't been this excited for like the broader college football, Big Ten football to follow um, as I have in a while. Just because uh, new to you, Kennington, but my wife gave birth around this time last year, so I was <laughs> not quite as focused on on broader uh, football things. But um, this season, it's it's super exciting to to see how it might play out. Do you have maybe any sleepers that you think? You mentioned Cincinnati, but is there anyone lurking in the SEC that isn't in the the top 13 teams that you think might might squeak up? 
outside the top 13? Probably not. Like that's the thing about the SEC bias. Like we're going to have seven teams in the top <laughs> in the top 13. Like it's going to be, you know, Alabama, us, Texas A&M, Florida. Like that's going to be kind of like the 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 top Auburn is a team one one year they're top five the next year they're eight and five like you really have no idea what you're gonna get um with them so that's probably the team that I would say is probably like the team that might be like a sleeper quote unquote you know first year um with Harson they got Bo Nix coming back at quarterback so they you know we'll see what they do that'll probably be my team other than that I really can't think of any um like sleepers in college, I saw North Carolina was ranked ninth. So uh, they got Sam Howell, um, who, of course, you know, he's top of, you know, 2022 quarterback charts. I'd like to see what they do. I know they got Notre Dame on the schedule this year. So I will circle I will circle that date. Um, but other than that, um, I don't really think there's any sleepers that, that come to mind immediately. Um, I am excited about the non-conference slate, what you said. I think that's one positive byproduct of the four-team college playoff that is forcing teams to go out there and play real schools and like play challenging schedules. I think Alabama is really the only team in the country that will get that type of benefit of the doubt to where they could, you know, not play anybody and make the playoffs, or they could even lose games and still make it into the playoffs. Everybody else, you're going to kind of have to load your schedule to to even that out. So I'm glad that teams are starting to do that. I think, you know, that makes it better for, you know, us, the, the media makes it better for consumers watching it, makes these teams better that they actually have to go out and play you know, real power five schools instead of starting off with, you know, a D2 school or FCS school to 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 start. And when I say, you know, real school is no disrespect to any FCS schools, but I mean like, you know, playing ranked, playing ranked like strong, strong opponents to start the season versus, you know, playing a, a school of lower caliber to um, to patch your win total. I'm curious. This is always a big deal with, with college football writers. Do you know how you're going to spend your bye weeks yet? Not yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> I'm debating. I mean, it's going to be tough, though. Flights to it. It is so expensive to fly direct oh, yeah. to Atlanta from Iowa. So yeah. I don't know if I'm going to make I don't know if I'm going to make that trip back to Atlanta. Chicago's close. I might make a drive and spend a weekend in Chicago. Um, I might be burned out by mid-October and I might sleep all weekend. I really have, I really have no idea, um, what my bye week entails. I know Chad is like taking almost that whole week off, or I think he might be taking that whole week off, but he's a vet. He already knows mm-hmm. how this goes. So maybe he already knows that we're going to be mm-hmm. burned out and he just took that week off and, um, and didn't tell me like, Hey, you might want to take that week off because you're going to be, you know, exhausted, but you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge, um, a little closer to when we, when we get there. Exactly. Um, I guess Harrison, did you have anything else you wanted to chat about? I will say a brief thing on the NBA G League, or not G League, the the Summer League. Uh, Joe Wieskamp, a little bit of a disappointment. Um, Just not gunning enough. Uh, He's not equipped to play Summer League basketball, uh, where you're just running and gunning. But Luca Garza, I, I don't know. Do you, are you keeping tabs with that at all, uh, yeah. Kennington? I actually have. They're they're playing the Rockets right now, so it's like you know the Cade versus Jalen matchup. But I was impressed with Garza his first summer league game. Like I thought he was. I thought he moved well. He was very active. Like he was setting good screens. He was playing well. What you said about Weiss Camp and kind of like the gunning thing, I look at it from a different perspective. Like I look at summer league for if you're not a top, if you're not a draft pick. 
or if you're not a player who's going into their second year in the league and, you know, you know you're going to be on the team and you're just there getting reps, the rest of these summer league rosters are guys who are trying to show out to make a summer league, to make a training camp or to make an NBA roster. So I'm looking at Wieskamp and he's on a team with a whole bunch of dudes who are trying to prove themselves and they are not going to be willingly passing him the ball <laughs> to get to give to give him shots like they're going to be taking all the shots like they're going to they're trying to do, do what's best for them to make it to the roster. So I know the other night he only took one shot. He made it. I would like him to to maybe step out of his comfort zone and be a little more selfish and just start pulling it like you're a draft pick. You know, you're on a probably a two way deal. You know, you're going to be at least on their G League team. You're going to get a training camp invite. Uh, I would like to, to see him be a little bit more selfish and like show a little bit more of his back. He ran into the same thing at the combine at the combine. Everybody's trying to show out for these pro scouts. So he's out there with a whole bunch of guys trying to prove themselves. They're not out there really playing like team basketball. It's like a whole bunch of guys like, Oh, let me show what I can do. Let me take a whole bunch of shots. We're not going to get you the, we're not going to swing it to you. Cause we know you're the best shooter. Um, we're just going to kind of like do our, we're going to, you know, we're going to do our own thing. So that's what I would like to see more from Wies campus kind of like on the gunning thing is like, man, just, just pull it yourself. Like, don't, I mean, don't take bad shots and like, don't, you know, make a play that's kind of like out of the flow of the game. But, you know, don't, don't be depending on the, on your teammates to just kind of swing it to you because it might be the right play or you might be open. Like they're trying to make a roster too. So I like to see him be um, a little bit more selfish. You, that was always the criticism of Wieskamp was like, he never took over games, but it, it was I just never understood it because his whole career was with Luca Garza, who just who could take over games. So it's like right. he 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 has that bone in his body because he was just a stud in high school and the best player to ever go through his his high school program. And they they wouldn't even make state tournaments. This is how um, little success they would have. Um, but he got them to a state tournament his senior year. So he's he's certainly capable of it. It's just been been a while for him to maybe exercise that muscle. Right. Well, they um they only played they've only they've only played one game so far. So they he got yeah. some opportunities in the next few games to just kind of like, you know, be a little selfish man, just like you can I know he I know he can hit a contested three. I didn't watch, you know, a whole lot of Joey's camp. I didn't watch a whole lot of Iowa, but he's a knockdown shooter. I know he can hit a contested three. So I would like to see him kind of, you know, you know, be a little more selfish, kind of reach into his bag, maybe do a little bit more offensively, um, and get some more shots for himself. Um, because I know he I know he's not I know he wasn't happy just taking one just taking one shot. So I would like to see him kind of, you know. Like, all right, like, let me kind of do my own thing. <laughs> let me just kind of do my own thing here and show what I can do, too. Yeah, and, the, and then Garza, I thought his first, like, his first stretch, it was <laughs> it was honestly incredible. Like, you know, those summer league crowds, they just get hyped for the right. random most random things. So he's draining that three. And then it seemed like in the third quarter they put him uh, in defensive pick-and-roll situations a little more, and it seemed like he struggled. So, you know – the good things exist that we knew the bad things we that we knew exist do exist. So it'll be interesting to see how Garza kind of balances that because he is just such an offensive force. And I think he will continue to be in the NBA because um, that that's just what he does. It'll be a matter of if he can mitigate those, those weaknesses as best as he can. Right. I mean, there are guys like that in the league who are, you know, offensive bigs who aren't that Good at you know switching in perimeter defense. You know, Edis Cancer. I'm um, thinking of like Brooke Lopez, Frank Kaminsky. Like those, there are guys who kind of fit that archetype who are in the league. 
right now. Obviously, they've been in the league for like a really long time. Like those are established, you know, players and, and veterans. But there's opportunity for for Garza to kind of carve out an, a niche for himself. Um, so he'll continue to improve. I imagine that he'll spend a considerable amount of time um, in the G League this year just to get some game reps because he's probably not going to be in the ro- in the Pistons rotation. Um, you know, regularly, I don't know what their depth chart is going to shake out to be, but I imagine he's not going to be like a rotation guy right away. So we'll get a chance to go in the G League and and get some reps, and you know, we'll just kind of we'll just kind of see from there. But there's a place for him in the league, definitely a place for Joe Wieskamp. Everybody in the NBA is looking for a player like him who can shoot, um, who can you know, he may not be a lockdown defender, but he can stay in front of somebody. Definitely athletic. We saw that in the combine. So the NBA is looking for for guys like him. So I know he'll he'll be fine and carve out an issue himself. Well, I, I did have one last question, Kennington. I'm curious if if what is the DJ circuit like in, in Tiffin, Iowa? Oh man, I haven't. I really ha- I haven't seen a DJ actually, so I really I can't even answer that question. Like I've been to Big Grove a few times. I haven't seen the DJ. I think they just kind of like play music on a loop. Like Dirty Hop doesn't have a DJ. I think they just kind of like play you know, Spotify or whatever the case may be. Um, so I'm looking for, I'm looking for opportunities, obviously for the next probably like eight months, I'm going to be kind of bogged down All my weekends are shot in the fall for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm probably not going to be too apt to go out to the court. I don't think anybody else is either like in the winter months, but next March, April, when it warms up, um, you know, book me. So uh, I haven't, I haven't seen a DJ. Maybe there are, maybe there aren't any DJs out here. So maybe that's another reason why <clears throat> I was called to be out here. Was to maybe add something to the beat and be Iowa's first ever DJ or Iowa City's first DJ. So um, I'm definitely trying to sink my teeth into into that uh, as well. So we'll see. That's awesome. I can't remember when I went to school at Iowa if there were any DJs. Um, it sounds like might have been a DE Martini sing, but I think they they shut down RIP. Um, <laughs> You'll uh, you'll get a dose of the Iowa City bar culture um, <clears throat> as you, as you spend some time on the beat, I'm sure. Um, well, uh, this was awesome. Thanks for joining us. This is your chance. Anything you want to say uh, or talk about to our uh, loyal listeners before we wrap up here? Um, just want to say thank y'all for having me on. Anytime I have an opportunity to speak with anybody who I mean who is more knowledgeable about Iowa than I am, um, sports culture. The, the layout, the city, whatever it is, I'm, I'm all for it. So I appreciate y'all having me on um, for sure. Um, anybody out there, um, keep sending me tips on, on winter gear for sure. Hmm. Um, I'm going to need them. And um, it'll be out, I'm sure, by the time this pod comes out. But I have a really big feature story on running back Tyler Goodson. Um, spent um, a considerable amount of time working on this feature. Sat down with him a few times. Talked to his parents, trainers, coaches, you know, his youth pastor, um, it's like a 3000 word piece. So we got a chance to talk about, um, a whole lot. So check that out. Um, you know, Hawk central Des Moines register, um, coming up this week. So I'm really excited for, for that. I can't wait to read about two Georgia guys sitting down together and talking shop. So that'll be, that'll be <laughs> sweet. Where, yeah. uh, where can the, where can the people find you online, Kenny? Um, find me on Twitter at skinny Kenny with an underscore at the end. All right. Harris, anything you want to part with? No, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Kennington. Uh, appreciate to appreciate your time and look forward to keep 
keep reading you as as the season progresses. All right, for sure. Thank y'all so much. Um, and um, I'm, this was fun. I'm available to to do this anytime. So if you ever uh, if you want to award with me, or if your viewers um, don't hate me, and um, you know y'all want to have me back on, definitely um, shoot me a message. We can set it up. We'll probably probably make that happen before we log off. What what's your prediction for Iowa to go this year record? Man, I'm I am in between nine and three, ten and two. I picked them to win the Big Ten West. Oh boy! Oh boy! Good vibes only. So the first, so the first two games they will probably split. So that's one loss. They have Wisconsin and Penn State, which are going to be. Very tough games. So they split those two and win the rest, which I think are winnable. These are our winnable games. Again, I haven't I haven't watched uh, I'm looking at Ben's face. I feel like I'm digging myself a hole. I haven't watched too much of the Big Ten top to bottom. So maybe I'm underestimating um some of the teams on on their schedule. But I feel like this is a talented team. And um definitely in the back in the back end of the second day, they got all their starters back. They got two really good offensive linemen. Obviously, they got good tonight running back. If Petrus can take the next step. Then you know, I feel like this is a team that could, like I said, you know, make it to the Big Ten championship, possibly be a fringe New Year's Six team, depending on how the rankings shake out. So to be in that conversation, to get to the Big Ten championship game, to be a fringe New Year's Six team, you have to win at least nine games. So that's kind of like the the floor of it. If they, you know, maybe win. You know, maybe again they're not supposed to, or maybe they don't traditionally win. I could see kind of ten and two regular season in in their um, in their future. Um, maybe that might be too optimistic though, but um, we'll see. That's kind of my uh, my initial feeling. Spend a few more years on the Hawkeye beat, and you understand <laughs> why. Uh, you know, nine and three is an awfully optimistic speculation for even the most talented of rosters. That's funny. As I was trying to explain myself, I'm looking at Ben, and he's looking at you like, yeah, I used to be like you once upon a time. I remember what it was like to be young and, and, and watching Iowa and, and, and so naive, and maybe uh, maybe that's a little green, but that's kind of my, my initial thought. Sit in the press box and watching uh, Iowa handed off to Mark Wiseman three times in a row, right into uh, the Penn State linebacker core. It's just uh, uh, such that, a deep that, cut. That changes that changes a person. Let me tell you. <laughs> right. That's see. That's the type of. That's why I appreciate speaking to people who are far more knowledgeable than me on Iowa. Because like like you said, a deep cut. I don't even. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what yeah. year that was. I don't know what the situation was. Anything. So. Again, I'm coming in very green to it, so that's just my initial thought. But maybe I will have to table this conversation for the end of the year. We might have to clip this, clip this, um, clip this video, clip this audio for the end of the for the end of the year, and see how uh, my prediction plays out. I wrote down. Well, I, w- I would be prediction. thrilled. I'd be thrilled with nine and three. That, that's what I have to say. Um, it's funny though, Ben. He was thinking about it the same way I was a little bit with looking at it from Penn State, Wisconsin as kind of the group and then I guess Indiana Iowa State as a little bit of a group too. So Right. You split you split both of those. That's two yep. right there. And then I guess like there's probably gonna be some a dumb loss somewhere. There's that's, gonna be a landmine somewhere on the schedule. That's just how that's just how it works. Again, I'm a George I know what I know what land we lost to three and nine South Carolina at home in double overtime. Like landmines happen. Like I, I understand it. So 
but for them to be where I where I'm kind of projecting them to be, that's the record that they're going to have to have. So that's that's where I'm standing on. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, nine and three, you heard it here first. Thanks to <laughs> Kenny Smith for joining us. Thanks for Harrison Starr for letting me host. Um, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Thanks again, Kenny. All right. Thank you all so much.